Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, Awesome Movie Year's resident enforcer. <laughs> you are. It's lucky that we're remote uh, recording this. Otherwise, I might have to worry about you uh Checking me is that the, is that the proper terminology? <laughs> it, it it is, but you're using it in a completely wrong instance because you're my teammate. I would be protecting you from others trying to check you, Josh. Who who in this scenario is our opposing team? You have a lot of enemies, Josh. <laughs> I mean, that's not really the point of this podcast, but uh, you're a, you're a controversial man, and uh, you know if there was an instance where I had to protect you, I think you know I would. Well, I, I do appreciate that. Um, maybe someday we'll be on the ice against another podcast or something. And why would we do that? Well, we've been talking in this season about the films of 1977. And this episode is our future cult classic pick. And it is the ice hockey comedy slap shot. One of one of the few movies about ice hockey, uh, not the most popular sport to make movies about, but this movie, by virtue of that, maybe the most famous ice hockey movie or the most acclaimed ice hockey movie, possibly. You got this. You got the you got Miracle, which got a lot of, you know, great feedback about the 1980 U.S. hockey team. And Josh, of course, you have the Mighty Ducks trilogy which are at least parts one and two masterpieces. <laughs> okay. We'll take your word for that. <laughs> um, but Slapshot is less family-friendly than the Mighty Ducks trilogy, let's say. And despite the fact that it is maybe, if not the most uh, popular and acclaimed ice hockey movie of all time, at least right up there, at the time it was released, it wasn't exactly a big success. It was a moderate box office success, grossing $28 million at the box office. I couldn't find any budget info on this. But, I mean, I would have to guess that, especially in 1977 dollars, and for a movie that's not special effects heavy or whatever, that that probably at least made the money back, I would think. Um, no, it definitely made the money back because, I mean, yeah. Yeah, this is much less than that, I would say. I mean, you you got to pay Paul Newman, baby. Got to pay you Paul Newman. You do have to pay Paul Newman, and that's part of why it was a disappointment because Paul Newman was such a huge star, and the last 3 movies that he made before this had all been really big hits, had made more than 100 million dollars, so comparatively this was a disappointment for him. Well, it's it's also, you know, as we'll get into, directed by George Roy Hill, who of course had a uh stunningly uh, good collaborative career with Paul Newman. And at one point, George Roy Hill had two of the top 10 highest grossing movies of all time. And he was the first director to ever have two in that top 10. So if you put him and Newman together, you you think, yeah, it's going to be big box office. Yeah, they were both on on really a hot streak leading up to this movie. And, and this movie kind of ended that for for both of them. And it wasn't it wasn't really uh, an awards favorite of any kind. Uh, the only major award it was nominated was nominated for a Writers Guild uh, Award for the Best Comedy for the screenplay by Nancy Dowd. Um, but otherwise, 
not highly acclaimed, not super successful. Critics weren't really into it. Um, so it's only over time, as, as is often the case for these cult classic movies, that it's built up this reputation and that it's become kind of a pop culture. Uh, it's, it's had this, this pop culture presence that it really didn't have at the time. And I think it's, it's definitely a lowbrow comedy. And as we've talked about um, a few times this season, critics usually aren't super into that as a genre. Although some critics had some positive things to say about it. Gary Arnold in the Washington Post said, Slapshot comes at you like a boisterous drunk. At first glance, it appears harmlessly funny in an extravagantly foul-mouthed sort of way. However, there's a mean streak beneath the cartoon surface that makes one feel uneasy about humoring this particular drunk for too long. Nancy Dowd's writing demonstrates certain elastic properties, but it can't be stretched to encompass a coherent or persuasive point of view. It's astonishing that the film keeps going on zany blackouts and profane zingers, but it somehow does. The filmmakers can't conceal the fact that they haven't sustained a single plot thread or relationship, yet they charge Slapshot with aggressive energy. And that seems to be one of the consistent criticisms that even if you find parts of this movie funny, that it doesn't have like a, any narrative or thematic uh, consistency to it, and it doesn't have any good character development. And I didn't really feel that way. I thought as much as this is vulgar and it's obviously a comedy that's mostly concerned with getting laughs, that there was actually some decent character development going on here, especially from Paul Newman. Yeah, Reggie Dunlop, the player coach, who is about to see his Charlestown Jets, right? Chiefs. That Chiefs, Chiefs, yes. The, They're based, the, on, based on the Johnstown Jets, the right, minor yeah. league hockey team. I combine the two. But yeah, so anyway, the team's about to fold, and Newman's finding uh, Reggie Dunlop's trying to find ways to garner more interest and, you know, keep the team going. I agree that that is like really the only plot. I mean, you have that thing with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the wife and everything of um, his teammates and every, you know, where they're, they're falling apart, Ned Braden's wife. And uh, that's a weird relationship. But so, I mean, it really is just about Paul Newman and Reggie Dunlop's journey with all these kind of supporting, uh, uh, ne'er ne'er do well, ne'er never gooders doing never goods, Josh. Sure, exactly. <laughs> That's how I would put it as well. Um, <laughs> I write professionally. I, you sure do. So, um, I mean, yeah, there's not like a complex plot, but I feel like you don't want that in this kind of movie. And the the plot that they have here is exactly the right amount, I think. So I don't yeah. know. I, I don't I'm, quite get that as a criticism. I'm with you. I think that. You know, when you say that is if you think this movie's not funny, but I think there's so much good comedy in here, you just throw it all away and just go with it. Right. No, I think that's true. And if you're not laughing at the comedy, then you're paying more attention to the plot and, and wondering why there isn't more of it. But um, I think, yeah, I think the comedy mostly works. We'll get into that a little later. Um, Vincent Canby in the New York Times said, George Roy Hill's unruly, funny new comedy, Slapshot, dramatizes the age-old contest between good and evil as clean versus dirty, and it's dirty that wins, hands and pants down. The film's point of view also appears to be ambiguous, for though it seems to want to be on the side of the clean, old-fashioned game played by the rules, Slapshot itself, like the Chiefs, largely triumphs by exploiting, sometimes uproariously, 
the brutality of the game, and the protective vulgarity of the players. Slapshot, which has been R-rated as much for its language as for the violence on the rink, has a kind of vitality to it that overwhelms most of the questions relating to consistency of character and point of view. So again, I think what he's saying here is that it's it's entertaining enough to, you know, kind of make up for the plot holes, and you know, which is fair. But again, I feel like what I like the most about this movie was not so much the the humor, not that there weren't moments that were funny, but I, I thought the Reggie Dunlop character and Paul Newman's performance, there's really some some pathos to that to that guy and to his journey. And I like that probably the most about this movie. I think that's cool that you say that. I mean, you know, Newman's on record as saying that this is basically the most fun he's ever had making a movie and uh, he loves the Reggie Dunlop character. And also to go along with what you're saying, just the scenes of the guys not playing hockey, but, you know, whether they're interacting in a bar or, you know, on the bus or whatever, those are those are really fun, you know, kind of bonding scenes. So I think that's where you get um, a lot of the enjoyment out of this film. Yeah, and there's character development in those scenes, not just for Reggie, but for the other characters. I mean, I guess, yes, they're a little broad, but at the same time, there's some real personalities that come through in this movie, which is, I think, what you need in this kind of film. You have this assortment of weird guys and you want to get some distinctive elements of at least uh, several of them in order to give you a full portrait of this team and their their ridiculousness. It's not just about Reggie. And so I think this movie does that fairly well, actually. You know, we might not be teaching Nancy Dowd's screenplay at a, uh, you know, screenwriting course, but... We're having a bachelor party and we want to watch a good movie after Josh accidentally kills the hooker. Then this is the movie we might watch. Well, I'm glad that you're not getting married anytime soon because your bachelor party <laughs> sounds horrifying. <laughs> um, you're the one who killed the hooker. So. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't want to know how I got to that point. What happened? So let's just move on from that. Uh, Pauline Kale in The New Yorker said... The theme is that the public no longer cares about the sport. It wants goonish vaudeville and mayhem. The director, George Roy Hill, has heated up his technique, and the picture is also geared to giving the public, quote, what it wants. It has a forced, antagonistic feeling. Hill is making a farcical hymn to violence. Hill lacks the conviction or the temperament for all this brutal buffoonishness, and he can't hold the picture together. What does is the warmth supplied by Paul Newman as Reggie, a player coach. Newman's likableness in the role is infectious. And and again, I think that's that's true. And 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 the likableness is important too, whereas Reggie could be kind of a, a kind of a jerk in some ways, but you always end up rooting for him and you always feel like you're on his side even when he's doing uh questionable things. I right. But but I gotta take issue with some other elements of that uh, review. I don't think that the public doesn't care about the sport anymore. Hockey has always been a violent sport. There's always been the argument as Reggie and Ned Braden have, do you play it with speed and grace or do you have like this goonery in there where you're violent? What happened was they they lost interest in the team because the team stunk. They were the the worst team in the league until they kind of changed their ways and the violence kind of catapulted them, energized them, electrified them, and then they became a much better team playing that way. So, of course, people are going to be more interested in them when they're a better team. 
Right. But I mean, I don't think it's just that they're a better team. It's that they're a better team because of this violence. And people are just as interested in seeing them brawl as they are in seeing them score points and win. I think the point is that they're a more they're a more interesting team. They're more fun to watch now. And it's it's all it's all kind of tied together. Um, but you're right. I don't think it. I, the idea isn't isn't that the people don't care about hockey anymore. I think it's that yeah, that people don't care about this team, and that the town is fallen on hard times as it is. And you know, why would they come out and spend their hard earned money to watch this hockey team that can't win? So you're right. Um, but I think at the same time, hockey in general is portrayed in this movie as this sort of like disreputable second class sport. That, you know, if these guys were a crappy basketball team or a crappy baseball team, they wouldn't be able to do this in order to win over fans. But because hockey is full of violence and kind of thuggery, that that's an option for this team that it wouldn't be in another sport. Disagree. As <laughs> okay. The, as the sports fan here, you know, we've seen and we've seen this in plenty of movies, Major League, you know, Bad News Bears or whatever. People like to see winners. You know, well, However, right. I'm not talking about the winning aspect of it, but but the the idea that they the idea that they can use violence in order to win, the idea that they can kind of start fights on the ice, and that's going to be a successful part of their strategy as a team, is kind of inherent to hockey and wouldn't fly in another sport. No, because in basketball per se, there are plenty of rules against it. But if you look at like dynasty. Teams, you have the the bad boy Pistons of the 80s, you know, um, obviously football lends itself to violence. But yeah, uh, I just think maybe we're looking a little too much into that aspect. And it could just be that it's a minor league town and minor league towns are always going to have up and down relationships with their teams, depending on if they're good or not. And, you know, like you said, this town, the mill's about to go under. There's a lot of other problems there. So um, when they have something to rally around, they rally around it. But before they do, it's there's just nothing really going on. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I think the idea of hockey as this kind of second class sport is an like a very important theme of this movie. So I don't think we're looking at that. too. Much. I, I don't think it's hockey. I think it's that it's a minor league thing. You know, I, that's I mean, what I think it is. Yeah, I mean, certainly that's part of it. But I, I just I think that the idea of hockey as the sport where this kind of thing happens is is really what a lot of what this movie is about. And, you know, because Nancy Dowd was in part inspired by actual minor league hockey, her brother played for that, the team that you mentioned, the Johnstown Jets. I, I, I think the, the hockey setting of it is important. And the way that this is a story that can play out in hockey is, is key to what makes this movie endearing or what, what should make this movie endearing. Just to cut in here for a second, uh, yes, I, I I agree with Josh here, but I think it's interesting the two of us being kind of outsiders to the topic that Jason finds this this alternate uh, point of view to it. You know, that's, and that and that's what I'm thinking also, Dave, because um, like, look, I'm a huge sports fan. Hockey, I would say most like I know the least about out of the four majors, perhaps, but you know, I'm a casual sports uh hockey fan especially living in vegas we got the knights and everything but i think you're right i think i'm looking at it from a more modern point of view where hockey has kind of ascended 
into one of the big four and you guys not being sports fans. If I even said like the big four, you might not even put know what I'm saying, perhaps, you know? So, right. um, so I think, yeah, you guys are looking at it as it is. And maybe I I've had a, a glinted, uh, point of view because of my modern sports fanaticism. Well, I think that's an important point is that this is the way hockey was in the 70s. And this isn't necessarily the way that hockey is now. As you point out, it's become a much more mainstream thing. And to me, this was sort of a window into how people viewed hockey in 1977 versus how they view it now. I think that's fair. I mean, again, I I think we have to take into account, uh, look, this isn't the New York Rangers, right? This isn't one of the original six in the NHL. A minor league team is always going to have this, which is why you've seen so many movies, you know, about the minor leagues. But there's, there's that camaraderie and the bus rides and, you know, the, hey, we're almost all playing for the love because you can barely get by on a minor league salary. So, but yeah, I will, uh, I will agree with you on that. So, Good job, guys. Thank you. No, and I think the minor league aspect of it is very important, too. I think it's all of these things that kind of add up. They're they're in a sort of second-class sport, uh, in a second-class league, and then also as a team, they can't win. So they're like a triple underdog that mm. they have to kind of claw their way out of. And, and as a town as well. Yeah, exactly. There you yeah. go. And so it's all of those things are stacked against them, and that's why you kind of rally in, in support of them. And that's why you feel sympathy with them as characters because they're so beaten down by these circumstances and all of those things are important there. Good, Josh. Uh, Good. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> uh, is there any other background info on this you want to mention, Jason? I mean, Josh, you said that it hasn't won awards, but I, when Maxim Magazine calls you the best guy movie of all time, what awards do you need, right? <laughs> so, I do like that um, Nancy Dowd wrote this about, like you said, her brother who cameoed as uh, goon Ogie Oglethorpe in the uh, on the Syracuse team. And uh, Ned Dowd went on to become a producer of... Uh, such films as King Arthur, Apocalypto, and Wonder Boys. And he was also in a movie we covered for Awesome Movie Year. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about, Josh? I know. What movie was that? He played Dr. Nichols at the beginning of Bottle Rocket. Oh. So right. that's kind of fun. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Other than that, you know, obviously we... Okay, I wanted to say one thing about uh, the cult classic element of it. One thing that I love when reading about how it garnered an audience was that they translated it into, uh, I guess, Quebecois French. Will you say that for me, Josh? Oh, yeah. Que- Quebecois? Yeah. That's nice. He does it Thank great, you. doesn't he, Dave? Oh, yeah. Quebecois. I like it. And I think that's so smart because, you know, Montreal, the Canadians, that uh, huge hockey team uh, known for their love of fighting up there. And But most movies wouldn't translate it to Quebecois. You know, they would just translate it into French. But... Um, doing that, it garnered a huge audience up there. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. And it does make a lot of sense. And I think also at this time now, obviously we have tons of American hockey teams and, you know, the idea that there's a a whole storyline in this movie about the potential move of the team to Florida and how would they possibly want to play hockey in Florida. And of course we have hockey teams in all sorts of places that have, uh, climates where you could never actually play you know, where the lake would never freeze over or whatever. But it it makes sense that at the time, hockey was more of a Canadian thing than an American thing. And so um, it would do better with a Canadian 
audience, especially a French Canadian audience. So, and Jason, as a big sports fan, had you seen this movie before? I had seen it before. I couldn't tell you when, and I remember liking it, but I liked it more this time. It it was really just a lot of fun to watch. Josh, did you did you ever see this movie before? No, I had never seen it. And I mean, as we've established, I'm not really a sports person. And that's not to say that I don't see sports movies, but they're usually not my top choice for just a random viewing. So I had not seen this. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, it was fun. I think uh, a lot of times I, I have a, maybe a lower tolerance for sports movies than some other people. But uh, yeah, this is a fairly entertaining film. So, Dave, did you, you ever watch this? I, I'm pretty sure I saw it when I was a kid. Uh, I, I think I liked it for the vulgarness back then, but yeah, I didn't really remember it. His parents sat him down when he was four, remember? Uh, yes, as we've established, Dave's Dave's parents yeah. loved uh, showing showing yeah. him inappropriate comedies. Yeah. Dave's <laughs> walking around as a four-year-old going and say, Harnan, your wife sucks <laughs> pussy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that, Jason. We're going to earn our explicit tag in this episode. <laughs> So, Maybe Maxim Magazine will give us a higher ranking because of it. I'm pretty sure Maxim Magazine doesn't exist anymore. Uh, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back in a moment and give our general thoughts on Slapshot. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1977, we've been talking about our cult classic pick, Slapshot. And as Jason was mentioning before the break, this did begin its cult following in Canada. So uh, where hockey is uh, more popular than it is in the U.S. Although now hockey is pretty popular here, I think, um, as we as we kind of alluded to. But uh, I can I can see that. And I think also something like Dave, you mentioning having seen it as a kid and enjoying the vulgarity of it. I can definitely mm -hmm. see this as something that when it hit like VHS that teenagers would rent because it has lots of swearing and uh, naked ladies and uh, people fighting. Like what else would teenage boys want? I think just right. one naked lady, not plural on the naked ladies, Josh. I mean, that one naked, that one lady was naked a lot though. So yeah. I think, I mean, look, if you're, <laughs> if you're a teenage boy in the eighties, your options for naked ladies are limited. So any any R-rated comedy that promises boobs is going to get a rental from you. Uh, yeah, but also it's really funny. I mean, you know, you, I think you're right, like the vulgarity, stuff like that. But, you know, and we've covered some spoof movies, which this is not. But no. I think a lot of the, you know, like when we saw when we did a Kentucky Fried movie, Dave's pick, that was a little more uh uh, sexually explicit, you know, as far True. as at least showing the nudity. But I just thought there was so much funny stuff. Like it was just so much fun to watch. I could definitely see like going in and be like, let's rent this. Cause we hear there's boobs, but then coming out and being like, Holy cow, that was really just fun. You know? Right. No. And I think that's what I'm saying is that people would have been drawn to it for those reasons you could see them picking it up and then because they started decided to watch it, then they're exposed to it and realize, Hey, it's great. And you know, suddenly this whole generation of teenage boys has this new favorite movie, which they picked up because of, uh, other reasons. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I can see how that would become, uh, how that would generate that cult following. And then of course, as hockey becomes more popular here in the U S and there aren't very many hockey movies, as we said, and especially, 
in the stretch between when this movie came out and maybe in the 90s when the Mighty Ducks movies came out, there really was nothing as far as hockey went. So if you were a hockey fan and you wanted to see a movie about hockey, this was really your only option. Yeah, Rob Lowe did one in the mid 80s. I forget what it's called, but I know he did. Um, But yeah, uh, and then you add on to all of that, Josh, Paul Newman. Right, Paul Newman (laughs) is great in this movie. And I think as, as a lot of those reviews mention, he really carries this. I mean, if we had, if, if he had not been the star of this movie, I think a lot of it would not have worked nearly as well because uh, right. it is, it is kind of haphazardly plotted at some points. And it really just is full of this lowbrow humor that is hit and miss. Um, but he's so charismatic that he really sells all of it. He really does. And like we said, uh, you know, he had said, multiple times how much fun he had making this movie and that really shines through because you could get another star but if they're you know not feeling it or whatnot like that brings this whole movie down he really really just goes for it and uh yeah i think that that kind of enthusiasm is infectious when watching this yeah i agree and i think also you can tell that most of the people on this movie they it looked like a movie that they were having a lot of fun making i mean they cast a lot of real hockey players in some of the supporting roles. Uh, of course, the uh, the Hanson brothers, the three uh, long-haired brothers with the thick glasses who have became the kind of breakout characters of this. They were all real hockey players. So I think uh, probably a lot of those people were just excited to be in a movie and they're having a good time. And so I think that comes across. And uh, even though this is a movie about a team that's, that's kind of down and out, when the movie starts, there's a an infectious enthusiasm to the characters in this movie. And there is that kind of, you know, sports lore feel of the minor leagues, right? Like there's something romantic about that where it's more for the love of the, you still are basically doing it for the love of the game because that's all you are getting out of it. You maybe are making enough to pay your bills and your dreams might be go to, to go to, you know, whatever major league you're in. But the minor leagues are something uh, very uh, low rent, romantic and dirty about it. Yeah. I mean, most of these people, you get the sense that they're never really going to make it. Uh, certainly Reggie, who is already at this point when the movie begins, is past his prime. He's older. He's clearly never going to get called up to the majors. And he's just kind of waiting it out before he has to retire entirely and can't play anymore at all. Um, and I think there's 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 a one point where the the Struther Martin character, the the general manager character, reminds him like, hey, remember who trained you to work in the front office? And that's obviously what he's looking at going in the future is he's going to have to be in an office job because he won't be able to play any longer. So yeah, I think that 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 is kind of inherent in movies about minor league sports is that these these are the guys who didn't make it or maybe they did make it briefly, but then they got kind of pushed back down. And so there's a camaraderie there. And uh, and yeah, that's that's that gives it a nice feeling. You get the sense that these guys do, even though there's conflict and especially between Reggie and uh, and Michael Onkeen's character, the one the one player on the team who has a college education and isn't into the whole fighting thing. There's there's tension between them. There's still that general uh, sense of camaraderie among all the players. So um, a couple of things to address there. Reggie, based on uh, John Brophy. Um, who was a coach in the Eastern Hockey League for years and years and years. And he actually did make it to the majors as a coach. Um, oh. You know, I, I, and you wouldn't call the National Hockey League, quote unquote, the majors. I would just say the 
the main, whatever it is, it's the big league, right? So um, he coached the Toronto Maple Leafs for like 86 through 88. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to address, Josh, is what did you think of that relationship? Because you mentioned the Ned Braden character, who's Michael Ankeen. What did you think of the relationship between him and his wife and Reggie? That was a little weird and murky to me. It was a little weird and murky. I mean, and because you have the relationship between Reggie and his wife, which I think is pretty clear, which is that she's fed up with him. She wants to move on. They're getting divorced. And he's still kind of hung up on her and is still trying to somehow win her back. Um, and and that is fairly clear. And he did, it's it's left a little unresolved at the end, but in a in a satisfying way where she she's still moving away. But she still clearly has a little bit of affection for him. But right, as the movie began and Ned's wife, uh, played by Lindsay Krause, is clearly, she doesn't like hockey. She doesn't like this, this kind of run downtown where they're stuck because he plays for this team. And she seems like she wants to get out. Um, but it seems like she's kind of drawn to Reggie as a more, I don't know if you want to say not really more sophisticated, but uh, maybe a less vulgar person versus the other players. And I, I thought there was going to be more of a romance between them. And there almost is. I mean, she leaves Ned at one point, moves out and moves in with Reggie, but it's always just like platonic. And and then she's and en ends up back with Ned at the end. So it, it definitely was a little unclear. And I thought Lindsay Krauss was good in this movie. Uh, as that character, and she was likable, and I almost was kind of rooting for her and Reggie to get together, but it, yeah, it, it's a little, that's that's maybe some of the sloppy plotting that some of those reviews are pointing to. Yeah, also, I don't think they stay together, because the last things you see of them are she's clapping for when they go back to violence, which kind of spurs him on to do his uh, striptease there, and it's just kind of representative of how, how diametrically different they are. But the last thing you see of them is in the, the parade where they're together. They're sitting in the car and he's got his arm around her and they seem very happy together at the end of the movie. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I maybe maybe that's just in that moment, right? And they don't stay together. I, I don't know. I think that maybe that's part of the inconsistency of the plot. But the last moment of them in the movie, they seem to have sort of reconciled. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a there's always a section in screenwriting after you've established like where the movie's going called fun and games. And this movie does that better than almost any movie. And it's where the team starts going on a streak of winning and they change their ways and the Hanson brothers start playing. And like, um, as I said, it's like it's really energized and you really feel that camaraderie and like that um, kind of uh, enthusiasm through the team like. I think that section, which is middle of act two, is is really maybe the best stuff in this movie. Yeah, that's fun when you get the sense that I think that's where a lot of that camaraderie comes in and they're really energized and it's fun and it's goofy. And uh, you have some of the bits with the the supporting or background people. Uh, I did really enjoy the announcer guy who has the terrible hairpiece. Um, who's always interviewing them on the radio and stuff. He was a fun background character. Yeah, I think I think maybe, even though I do like the Reggie character and I think there's some pathos to him and his his desperation to do anything to get the team to to win because he feels like 
he's got nothing to lose. And Paul Newman sells that really well. Um, but yeah, at the same time, a lot of what's enjoyable about this movie is just the goofiness of it. And, and that really comes across in that segment. And the goofiness uh, is a good transition to talk a little more about the Hanson brothers who are, you know, pieces of pop cultural uh, lore at this point in time. And uh, like you said, the breakout stars of this thing. And they are based on real hockey players, real minor league hockey players, like you said, Josh, um, which are Jeff, Steve and Jack Carlson. And Steve and Jeff are in the movie um, along with a man named Dave Hansen playing with the the other Hansen brother because the other real Hansen brother got called up to the National Hockey League at this point in time. Right. And I think that's part of what makes them also endearing is that they're really presumably like this. I mean, I'm sure the movie is exaggerated, but these are the real guys and they really look like that. And they really played like that in certain ways. And yeah, they're fun. I think this is the kind of thing where it, I mean, we'll talk later about the, the the sort of pseudo sequels, but if this movie had been a huge hit at the time that it came out and had become like a big franchise at the time, you could see the Hanson brothers becoming the equivalent of, you know, Steve Urkel or something where it's, it's, it's a too funny, yeah. yeah. And, and then it suddenly becomes too much well, because that, that wasn't really the case. Um, I think they're the right amount of ridiculousness in this movie but then you can get away from them and you can have Reggie and you can have Ned and the characters that are a little more well-rounded. Yeah. And there was, when it did become a success, the, they, there was an offer to make a Hanson Brothers spinoff movie, oh. but um, they turned it down because I think they were all playing hockey at that time and ascending or happy where they were. Um, but you are right that a lot of those stories are real, like that I was reading about them, like where they would just go and start fights um, like once the puck dropped or like go fight people in the crowd and hit the wrong guy and stuff like that. So, but, but yeah, I know we keep coming back to the word energy and they, and they definitely bring that here. And, and I think that played against Paul Newman's groundedness is really a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think that is, that balance is important that if this was just a movie full of ridiculous over the top characters like the Hanson brothers, and there wasn't the grounded element of Reggie's story, it wouldn't work as well. But because you have both of those things that it, it there's enough, although this movie is definitely too long, there's no reason for this movie to be two hours long, but there's enough to kind of hold your interest in, in terms of development, you know, in terms of where is this going to go next? What's going to happen to Reggie that you can hang on through the movie? It's not just wacky, funny antics. And, yeah. and that, that, that balance is important. So I will say also reading about all of the real things that happened and how much Nancy Dowd was inspired by all this real stuff. I was like, you know, I would have loved maybe to see Nancy Dowd just make a documentary about minor league hockey in the seventies. Well, I'm that, sure that would have been fascinating. I think that was the original plan. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Hmm. And, um, unless I'm no, unless you're probably I'm right. Confused. I made it, I, maybe I missed that, but yeah. Um, and then uh, someone, just said, no, you should make this into a, you know, a fictitious screenplay or something. I, right. don't, I think so. 
Yeah, that could be right. Maybe, you know, at the time now we have where we were bombarded with these kinds of documentaries and maybe at the time that wasn't really a viable commercial prospect. But it just seems like there's there's a whole world here that maybe you know, was unique to that moment. I know the the federal league itself, the um, the league that they play in uh, was based, whatever league it was based on, the real one just completely folded. The whole league folded like a year later after this movie. So right. It, was, it did come back though, but oh, there was okay. always like a, but then it probably folded again. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. You know, let me ask you, Josh, you know, I'm a fan of the alternate casting. I only read a little about this one. Here. Oh yeah, sure. Let's hear it. Now let's take Paul Newman out as Reggie Dunlop and the other name mentioned Al Pacino. Yeah, that would have been a terrible, mm. Al Pacino is wrong for this role. Um, I, I don't know if, Al, I mean, I guess Al Pacino does, I mean, I feel like when I think of Al Pacino comedy, I think of like Jack and Jill or something, but I'm sure he did something else before that. But. Well, I don't think, it, I was thinking not as comedy, but I think he's very much a lot of fun in any given Sunday where he gets to Pacino it up as a right. coach. But I think he's maybe too intense. And part intense, of what's great about yeah. Reggie is that even though he has that desperation of I'm going to lose my job and the team is going to fold and I got to do whatever I can. He also has this kind of laid back personality yeah. where he's just easygoing and fun. And I don't see Pacino being able to play that. I don't either, but it would have been fun to just hear, hey, Hanan, your <laughs> wife sucks pussy. <laughs> well, that was a very long route to get an Al Pacino impression in this season. But you no, no, no. We've talked about Pacino before. It was, yeah. it made sense. And mm -hmm. then uh, Nick Nolte as Ned. That would have been interesting, I thought. He could have yeah. gone up against Paul Newman in a very intense type of way. I thought that would have been nice. Yeah, and Nick Nolte at this stuff. We now think of Nick Nolte as uh, this sort of ridiculous, craggly <laughs> character. <laughs> right, exactly. Nolte, yeah. <laughs> But but in 1977, Nick Nolte, A, did not sound like that. And B, was like a heartthrob. So I think it would have been, he would have totally fit in there at the time. Yeah, I think so too. I wonder, you know, how George Roy Hill ended up making this movie because he was on such a hot streak. You know, he had just done The Sting not, you know, what, four years before this or something. So this seems like an odd choice for him. But, uh, you know, it worked out. Yeah, I mean, maybe because he'd worked with Paul Newman multiple times. If 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 Newman was the one who wanted to do this and maybe brought him along, I'm not sure. But um, or maybe he just wanted to do something light as opposed to, you know, things that are very like a period piece with a lot of set pieces and whatever. I don't know. Yeah, Newman, um, Newman read for George Roy Hill, Butch and Sundance and this thing pretty good. Yes. Yeah. They had quite a collaboration there in the 70s or in the 60s and 70s. Uh, one element of this movie that I feel like we have to talk about is the rampant homophobia, which on the one hand was acceptable at the time, but on the other hand is really, really prominent in this movie. Yeah. And I'm not even going to say in this time, which you're right, it was, but also in sports culture, you know, like, man, for so long, like I played sports, you know, all the way through high school and, you know. I mean, that was the that was the put down, right? You would call someone gay in a much uh, more derogatory way than that. But yeah, I agree. And we're covering another movie later in this season where we see very macho people use derogatory uh, terms towards homosexuals. And it, it's I'm I'm glad we're past that. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, clearly half of society still isn't, but I'm glad we're moving <laughs> past that at least. So. Right. Or at least. Uh 
you wouldn't. It's not cool anymore. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't do this in a movie, even if people may unfortunately be saying these things in their personal lives. A mainstream comedy release now could never use that kind of language. And I mean, I think obviously you're right. It was rampant in, in locker rooms. And part of that is depicting, again, I'm sure Nancy Dowd witnessed this kind of stuff while she was researching this movie. But I think there's there's at least there's one particular moment, and I think there's a couple moments like this where the characters break out these really harsh homophobic slurs in, in ways that are very mean-spirited. I mean, there's one scene where Reggie goes and he finally tracks down the owner of the team. That's what he's been trying to do this whole time because he wants to find out why the team is being sold and what he can do to prevent the team from yeah. being sold. And so he finally tracks down the owner and they have this disagreement and he's very angry at her and he insults her little kid's son in this horrible homophobic way. And that to me was the one moment where I was like, I can't, Paul Newman is not enough to get me to like Reggie in this moment. I don't think, I don't think anyone would be at that, you know, but I agree with you. Not, not, not cool. Not cool, Josh. So different no. time and we're not, we're not uh, making an excuse for it, but you know, that's what it was, I guess. Right. Well, I, but again, I think even for the time this movie has, like we've we've obviously watched a lot of movies from this year during this season, including comedies. And I think this movie has an excessive amount of that, even for 1970. And I think, like I said, like, I think there's so much funny stuff in there. They could have easily have done other uh, things to get the effect that they were going for that would have been funnier and uh, gotten there. Right. I agree. And it does seem it does seem like an easy thing to go to. And I mean, I suppose you could argue that it's an easy thing for the characters to go to, that they want to insult each other. So they just go to that same insult over and over again. But there's enough creativity in the humor elsewhere in this movie that I think it's not necessary. You know, we've kind of gone over the good and the bad of this. Uh, should we give it a rating, Josh? Yeah. Do we want to rate it out of, uh, I mean, you know, hockey Five. sticks? minor league hockey championship trophies. Oh, okay. That, that works. I'm going to give, I'm going to go three and a half here. Yeah. Um, just, I really, uh, you know, the, the anti gay remarks. I agree with you, Josh, not cool. Other than that, really just a really fun movie here. Yeah, it is fun. I think it's, I think it is quite uneven. I'm going to give it three out of five, but there were definitely moments that, I, I laughed at and I, I had a good time with. I, I want to mention also the, the scene where they're all sitting in a bar, all the players are sitting in a bar and they're fascinated watching some soap opera on television. I thought was a very funny scene and was a nice way to demonstrate that these aren't just buffoonish guys, that here they are fascinated by some soap opera that you wouldn't think that these macho dudes would be into. So there are moments like that that kind of contrast with the homophobic slurs that show a little bit of range to the depiction of masculinity in this movie, so. To add on to that, I think that the use of the song uh, right back where we started from, which is a very feminine uh, song from the 70s by Maxine Nightingale, and that's kind of like the theme song of the movie over and over, I think that's really effective as well. Yeah, I mean, and of course, as we, we've said many times, Nancy Dowd, the writer of this movie, is a woman, so that's certainly a perspective. And in the 70s, that was even less common to have a, a female screenwriter, especially for a movie like this. So she's certainly bringing a, an amount of that perspective to it, which is appreciated. Dave, um, what do you think? Minor league I'm going, with, yeah, I'm going with three of those things. Yeah, it, it was it was fun. It definitely had its moments. And I, 
if it wasn't for Paul Newman, I think it would have been a little lesser, but he certainly is very uh, fun to watch. Yeah, Paul Newman really carries this, um, as we've said, and uh, deservedly so. So we'll come back here in a moment and talk about the legacy of Slapshot. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1977, we've been talking about our future cult classic pick, the hockey comedy Slapshot. And uh, of course, as a pick for a future cult classic, one of the big legacies here is that it did become a cult classic. As we've talked about, thanks in part to its success in Canada, and I think the growing success of hockey and uh, sort of home video popularity, it is a cult classic, and I think it endures even, even now as a cult classic. Yeah, and you could see in the 80s, like when cable and premium channels were you know, just starting. I bet this played like nonstop. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I could see just as as teenagers might have been renting this on VHS in the 1980s. I think anybody who had HBO or something like that in the 80s probably watched it. And I could imagine even this, you know, heavily edited showing on TNT or TBS or something and people get a taste of it and then eventually rent it and see the fully uncensored version. So um, it, it is one of those movies that you can you can absolutely chart how it would have built up that cult following. Um, and, and to the point as a brand where it got these two straight-to-video sequels starting 25 years later, um, in 2002, Slapshot 2, starring uh, Stephen Baldwin, clearly the Paul Newman of the early <laughs> the OOs, um, uh, and, and a Slapshot 3 in 2008 with, with no actors of any note. Leslie um, Nielsen. Was Leslie Nielsen? Okay, I, 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 you know what? I missed that. I just read the initial cast list. But I, I will say that um, if you want to see Slapshot 2 and Slapshot 3, they are currently streaming on Peacock. And I actually watched uh, about 25 minutes of Slapshot 2, which was about 25 minutes too many, um, <laughs> featuring Stephen Baldwin and his mullet. Um, but did you see, uh, wasn't it was Gary Busey in it as well? Gary Busey is in it, but he wasn't in the first 25 minutes, so I did not see him. The Charlestown Chiefs get purchased, and they have a lady coach, a lady coaching hockey. What? So that's about as far as I got. But and uh, and were the Hanson brothers in it? Because I know obviously that's kind of where it all goes. And the third one, yes. the Hansons have to coach a junior hockey team. But what 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 did they do in the second one? Yeah, well, in this one, I I, I got the impression that the third one is really kind of built around the Hanson brothers. Um, whereas in this one, and again, I only watched the first bit of it. Um, they're just still on the team. They're just, I mean, they are in it and they're doing their typical Hanson brothers things. But they're just now like approaching like what their late forties or something. And they're apparently still playing for the Charlestown chiefs, which is, you know, slightly unrealistic. Well, but, one of them, one of the hands is Steve Carlson. One of the real, you know, the guy who played yeah. him when that league kind of reformed, he coached the Johnstown chiefs, which was kind of like the, you know, the real town with mixed with the name from the movie from like 1988 to 92. These guys have led Pretty fascinating lives, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, and they did become these sort of pop culture icons, especially in hockey, and those guys definitely milked it. You know, they would make appearances at hockey games and conventions and that kind of stuff. Certainly, they uh, they made the most of it. And it makes sense. I mean, I think we see that a lot in movies that that build up these cult followings and these kind of 
small time actors end up working convention circuits and whatever off of this one role that they were in for decades. Um, and hey, good for them. Why not? They deserve it. Well, the Hansons, among other things, Josh, have inspired. There's a, a, a group at uh, in like another minor league hockey, uh, the Cleveland Monsters. They have a they have three guys called the Mullet Brothers, and they're just like Hanson ripoffs, and they're like mascots. And Josh, you'll be happy to know, Hall of Fame wrestling tag team, the Dudley Boys, originally known as the Dudley Brothers, were easily Hanson ripoffs as well. Yeah, well, I'm glad you got a wrestling reference in there too. Did you did you watch those wrestlers when you were that was that like in the 80s? Did you know that was the 90s? And I never put it together. But I mean, now if you look when they started, they had those dark glasses, the big Coke bottle glasses, and everything like that. So yeah, Um, and they were known for their brawling. So. There you go. Well, who in wrestling is not known for brawling? <laughs> I feel like if you're not brawling in wrestling, then you are definitely in it the wrong shows, sport. It uh, shows, uh, yet again, Josh, along with hockey, you have a very uh, big misunderstanding of wrestling. There's there's technical grappling, you know, there's mm. high flying mm-hmm. in the Lucha Libre style, Josh. There's, a, there's a, just a lot you're not considering. All right. Maybe one day we'll have to watch a, a wrestling movie on this podcast. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to I can't eventually. wait. But um, <laughs> we, we mentioned the kind of the legacy of hockey movies. Um, the Mighty Ducks, of course, is probably the most popular beyond this. Uh, and Mir- Miracle, which is a serious film about a real uh, hockey team, the 1980 uh, Olympic team. That's a very... That's a very typical sports drama, the the kind of uplifting movie with the underdogs defeating the champions. Um, but it seems like hockey lends itself more to these kind of scrappy comedies, whether that's The Mighty Ducks, or I definitely thought of Goon with uh, Sean William Scott. Great um, movie. You know, which also, and, and I also had a sequel that I never saw. Yeah, but that's the, a fun the sequel's good, but I think Goon's a very underrated movie of the last 10 years. Good movie. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a fun movie. And I think you could see that character fitting in on this team. Um, also, Happy Gilmore, the Adam Sandler film, which I know is mainly about golf, but starts with hockey. And, and you could absolutely see Happy Gilmore playing for the Charlestown Chiefs. Yeah, Josh, what, um, you know what I was thinking? Like, we, and I'm glad you've mentioned a lot of hockey movies, even though you didn't mention Sudden Death with Jean Claude Van Damme. That's okay, Josh. I don't know if that really qualifies. <laughs> Cult but, classic. And I love sports. And like I said, hockey is of the big four, the one I follow the least. But I think it has a way better connect percentage when they make movies about hockey. Like, for the most part, they are of higher quality than movies about other sports. Or they have a a greater, like, hit to miss ratio, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, and maybe also because there's so few of them that if you're a fan of hockey and you want to see a movie about your favorite sport, you have limited options. And so whenever they make one, it becomes, whether it becomes a hit or it becomes at least a, a cult favorite because people gravitate towards it because there aren't really other options. Um, I guess, but I mean, you, you know, as someone who's not anything more than a casual hockey fan, I have enjoyed so many of these hockey movies and I, I like I'm a huge basketball fan and I'm a huge football fan, but there's lots of bad movies about those other sports, I'd say. Yeah, there's we've yet to get the space jam of hockey, but um one <laughs> but, only hope. Josh, one other uh thing I wanted to bring up as far as influence. Um, as you know, one of my favorite TV shows, Letter Kenny, I think absolutely captures the uh the violence and celebrating the goon the goon characters uh, in hockey, like um, 
like Slapshot did. Yeah, I still haven't watched that show, but I know how much you love it. Um, Can I do one? Yeah, please, Dave. (laughs) I was reminded specifically of, we talked about the Zuckers earlier this uh, season. I was reminded of the Zuckers basketball with Trey Parker and Matt Stone, which I think is absolutely, I mean, with all the psych outs and all that kind of stuff, I think uh, takes, takes this movie's idea and runs with it a little bit. Yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. And I think the other, what I was about to say is that there's the other legacy of this is, is the kind of tradition of movies about these very vulgar sports teams and where mm-hmm. it's not, it's not necessarily that uplifting drama about the, the, the pride of sports where it's about kind of disreputable guys trash talking each other. And that's certainly the case with basketball. I mean, you had the bad news bears, which was around this same time. I think before this though. There you go. But, um, and then there were sequels to it after. And I think that's, that's part of a trend. I mean, uh, semi tough with, uh, Burt Reynolds came out maybe a year after this. Um, and Jason, of course you mentioned major league, which I think is the the biggest one that people think of with that kind of, uh, film. Um, Mm. but even something like bull Durham, which is about, being a minor league player and you can see you can see Kevin Costner's character in Bull Durham as a sort of descendant of Reggie Dunlop. Josh, I think um it's not just the vulgarity, it's the idea of like a ragtag group of underdogs who come together as a team and um all the many of those movies you just mentioned like do that pretty well. Yeah, but I think it's it's there's definitely the contrast there between a movie like Miracle, where sports are kind of held up as this representative of humanity, whereas these movies like, yes, maybe the characters are underdogs and maybe they win or maybe they don't win, but really it's not about the the inspiration of coming from behind and winning. It's it's about the camaraderie among the characters and about kind of not not taking the sport so seriously. I think they take it seriously. They just have fun doing it. Right, they they have fun with it. So George Roy Hill, as we said, was on a big hot streak kind of leading up to this movie and uh, not so much after this, um, but did continue working for a little while through uh, 1989, his final film, Funny Farm with Chevy Chase, which I think I saw as a child. But certainly the, the heights of his career preceding this with Butch Cassidy and The Sting, he never really got back to that point. Yeah, The Sting, you know, seven Oscars, best picture director. So that was probably probably it for him, yeah. Yeah. And Paul Newman, obviously, even though this wasn't a hit, he still remained a massive star. And it was interesting to me that I think we, we, we think of Paul Newman, obviously he's a major movie star, but we think of him more as this serious actor and not so much as this goofy comedy guy. And he does that really well here, but he didn't appear in a ton of comedy after this. The only thing that, I, that stood out to me was like the Hudsucker proxy, which is a very different kind of comedy. Yeah, I agree. Um, look, he was what, one of the few, if maybe the only actor ever nominated. He was nominated for uh, Academy Awards in five different decades. Pretty impressive. And of mm-hmm. course, uh, won it in 86 for Best Actor, Color of Money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's great. He's the best. He, and, he is. Uh, and, and, you know, as much as he succeeded in acting, he succeeded even more with all the money he's given to charity. That's true. I mean, I think almost people know him more or if you're not a movie fan you re- just think of Paul Newman as a face on a bottle of uh salad dressing <laughs> where the sales go to charity but that's great I'm sure he'd be happy with that knowing that his legacy even after he passed away is continuing to make money for charity I'm sure he'd love that 
Josh, you had mentioned that you think this would have made a good documentary. Um, I don't have a good documentary about a minor league baseball team, although actually I do. Michael Jordan, uh, 30 for 30, Jordan rides the bus where he's a minor league player is good. But I also think um, there's, well, that's not hockey, that's baseball. But the other baseball minor league uh, documentary that's really good is uh, Battered Bastards of Baseball that Kurt Russell produced, who, of course, was the star of Miracle about his dad's baseball team in the 70s in Portland. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie, but I've heard a lot of good things. And that seems like the kind of thing, if it hasn't happened, that somebody probably will pick up the rights to and turn into a, a narrative film that would be heavily influenced by Slapshot and Bad News Bears and that kind of stuff. Kind of the real life counterparts, you know, like this type of thing. Guys just playing for the love of the game at this point. Right, right. A couple other actors who are prominent in this film. Michael Ontkeen, we mentioned this was one of his, uh, you know, it could have been a breakout role if the movie was a bigger hit, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't that well known at this point. And he continued as a character actor and is best known for appearing on Twin Peaks um, but declined to appear in the recent revival of Twin Peaks for reasons that seemed to be unclear, but he doesn't really work much anymore. And Lindsay Krauss, who I thought was quite good in this movie as a character who, as we mentioned, is a little inconsistent, but I liked her performance, went on to be nominated for an Oscar for Places in the Heart by Robert Benton, who we talked about earlier this season, the director of The Late Show. Her biggest lead role in a film. Uh, she was married to David Mamet and was the star of his film House of Games, which I hate. And I think that was the first thing I saw her in. And she's just so irritating in that movie. I, I like that movie. I, I just, yeah, I just can't stand David Mamet. And I feel like the way that, da especially the way that David Mamet directs actors makes them always come off like they don't know what they're doing. Um, and that was probably my first exposure to seeing Lindsay Krause uh, give a performance. And she's so natural in this movie. And David Mamet movies are all about being unnatural. So um, I don't know. I just wanted to. Well, Josh, David Mamet there. Speaking <laughs> of exposure earlier when you were talking about the woman who exposes her bosom in this film. Yes. That's Melinda Dillon. Hint, hint, who we might be talking about in another film later in this season. That is true. And uh, she is uh, quite fearlessly exposed in this film and um, kind of a nice scene. I mean, it's weird. We talked about the homophobic uh, jokes in this movie, but weirdly that scene has kind of a progressive attitude toward Melinda Dillon's character as a lesbian. Well, that's um, not a surprise, is it? You know, macho sports guys, pro lesbian, anti gay man. I'm not, that's not big of a surprise. Right. Time. No, I guess not. But I guess coming like uh, for, as the movie's perspective, they treat her with more respect maybe than they would the idea of gay men. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching for that. But Melinda Dillon, we will get to later. Um, any other legacy of this film you want to mention? No, I think you hit it all, man. I mean, like we said, the Hanson brothers still still popular in pop culture today. Kind of interesting. So Yeah, they are. They're still doing their thing. So that's Slapshot, and that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media. Sure you can, Josh. We're at AwesomeMovieYear.com. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason.com, the minor league hockey team of a website. Go to SpaceJam.com instead. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad we got another Space Jam reference in here. 
Uh, I'm at joshbellhateseverything.com, which I think I recently mentioned I was going to post something on, and then I didn't. But maybe I will. Uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SignalBleed and on Facebook at Josh Bell Hates Everything. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check Piecing It Together out wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod or join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And sign up for uh, Patreon, right? Yes. Uh, we've got uh, still some bonus stuff. Speaking of Space Jam, uh, we had that on there. And hopefully we'll have some more bonus things to come. And uh, How are we doing on the new patrons, Dave? Yeah, I think we lost a patron, though. We lost one. But yeah, yeah we, 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 we'll, 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 we're, we're underdogs, guys. We, we, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're the Charlestown Chiefs of Patreon. You know what? Here's my offer for the week. If we get three new patrons... I will do a scene with Josh where I am topless. <laughs> there you go. I think maybe this is the reason that we're losing patrons is because none of our uh, promised bonuses are anything that anyone They're trying to like <laughs> no make to. sure that we don't do it. You know, if we, if we yeah. cancel our Patreon membership, they won't do this stuff. So We're joking around right now, but I, I, I want to just bring up one thing before we close. You keep saying this wasn't a hit. It wasn't a huge hit, but it was a modest hit that just kept going and going and going and became a cult classic. So I like to think it was a hit. Are you, are you saying that that that's our also trajectory, that we're going to be a modest hit that keeps going and going? I like that. I'm going to say we're keep going and going. I'm not going to say that we're even a <laughs> modest hit. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's wrap this. Jason, what's coming in our next episode? Well, Josh, it's the Audience Choice Award. And we do it every season. This year was Iconic 77. And the three choices were three huge iconic movies from 1977. Who would think that? They were Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind, Smokey and the Bandit, and Saturday Night Fever. And the winner was Close Encounters of the Third Kind with Melinda Dillon. And another favorite of this season who we may hear an impression of. I'm not even going to say it because I know what would happen if I did. But tune in next time for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.